Please be seated. The Passion of Our Lord Jesus Christ According to Mark. It was two days before the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread. The chief priests and the scribes were looking for a way to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the festival or there may be a riot among the people. While he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very costly ointment of nard. And she broke open the jar and poured the ointment on his head. But some were there who said to one another in anger, Why was the ointment wasted in this way? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and the money given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has performed a good service for me. For you always have the poor with you, and you can show kindness to them whenever you wish, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for its burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the good news is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in remembrance of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. When they heard it, they were greatly pleased and promised to give him money. So he began to look for an opportunity to betray him. On the first day of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb is sacrificed, his disciples said to him, Where do you want us to go and make the preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, and wherever he enters, say to the owner of the house, The teacher asks, Where is my guest room, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. So the disciples set out and went to the city and found everything as had been told them. And they prepared the Passover meal. When it was evening, he came with the twelve. And when they had taken their places and were eating, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be distressed and said to him one after the other, Surely not I. He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the bowl with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that one by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that one not to have been born. While they were eating, he took a loaf of bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them, and all of them drank from it. He said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, 
which is poured out for many. Truly I tell you, I will never again drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. When they had sung the hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, You will all become deserters, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though all become deserters, I will not. Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this day, this very night, before the cock crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said vehemently, Even though I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all of them said the same. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took with him Peter and James and John and began to be distressed and agitated. And he said to them, I am deeply grieved, even to death. Remain here and keep awake. And going a little farther, he threw himself on the ground and prayed that, if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. He said, Abba, Father, for you all things are possible. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I want, but what you want. He came and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not keep awake one hour? Keep awake and pray that you may not come into the time of trial. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And once more he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to say to him. He came a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? Enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. And with him there was a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priest, the scribes, and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. So when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and kissed him. Then they laid hands on him and arrested him. But one of those who stood near drew his sword and struck the slave of the high priest, cutting off his ear. And then Jesus said to them, Have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as though I were a bandit? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not arrest me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. All of them deserted him and fled. 
A certain young man was following him, wearing nothing but a linen cloth. They caught hold of him, but he left the linen cloth and ran off naked. They took Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests, the elders, and the scribes were assembled. Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest, and he was sitting with the guards, warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priest and the whole council were looking for testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many gave false testimony against him, and their testimony did not agree. Some stood up and gave false testimony against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. But even on this point, their testimony did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Have you no answer? What is it that they testify against you? But he was silent and did not answer. Again the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the power of and coming with the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, Why do we still need witnesses? You have heard this blasphemy. What is your decision? All of them condemned him as deserving death. Some began to spit on him, to blindfold him, and to strike him, saying to him, Prophesy. The guards also took him over and beat him. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she stared at him and said, You also were with Jesus, the man from Nazareth. But he denied it, saying, I don't know or understand what you are talking about. And he went out into the forecourt. Then the cock crowed. And the servant girl, on seeing him, began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. Then after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to curse, and he swore an oath, I do not know this man that you are talking about. At that moment, the cock crowed, For the second time, then Peter remembered what Jesus had said to him. Before the cock crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. As soon as it was morning, the chief priest held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. They bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? He answered him, You say so. Then the chief priest accused him of many things. Pilate asked him again, Have you no answer? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further reply, so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the festival... He used to release a prisoner to them, any one for whom they asked. 
Now a man called Barabbas was in prison with the rebels who had committed murder during the insurrection. So the crowd came and began to ask Pilate to do for them according to his custom. Then he answered them, Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? For he realized that it was out of jealousy that the chief priest had handed him over. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release Barabbas for them instead. Pilate spoke to them again. Then what do you wish for me to do with the man that you call the king of the Jews? And they shouted back, crucify him. Pilate asked them, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released Barabbas for them. And after flogging Jesus, he handed him over to be crucified. Then the soldiers led him into the courtyard of the palace, that is the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole cohort. And they clothed him in a purple cloak. And after twisting some thorns into a crown, they put it on him. And they began saluting him, Hail, King of the Jews! They struck his head with a reed. They spat upon him and knelt down in homage to him. After mocking him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. They compelled a passerby who was coming and in from the country to carry his cross. It was Simon of Ciceron, the father of Alexander and Rufus. Then they brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. And they offered Jesus wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his clothes among them, casting lots to decide what each should take. It was nine o'clock in the morning when they crucified him. The inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two bandits, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by derided him, shaking their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests, along with the scribes who were also mocking him amongst themselves and said, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Messiah, the King of Israel, come down from the cross now so that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also taunted him. And when it was noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. At three o'clock, 
Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema shabachalim, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of the bystanders heard it, they said, listen, he is calling for Elijah. And someone ran, filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a stick and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. Then Jesus gave a loud cry and breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way Jesus had breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was God's son. There were also women looking on from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, the younger, and of Hosus and Solomon. These used to follow him and to provide him with, for him when he was in Galilee. And there were many other women who would come up with him to Jerusalem. When the evening had come, and since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself waiting expectantly for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate wondered if he was already dead. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he had been dead for some time. When Pilate learned from the centurion that Jesus was dead, he granted the body to Joseph. Then Joseph brought a linen cloth, and taking down the body, wrapped it in the linen cloth, and laid it in a tomb that had been hewn out of the rock. He then rolled a stone against the door of the tomb, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Hoses, saw where the body was laid. Please be seated. Alyssa Al-Hadef, Scott Beigel, Martin Duquet, Nicholas Dwaret, Aaron Feiss, Jaime Gutenberg, Chris Hickson, Luke Hoyer, Kara Lofren, Gina Montalto, Joaquin Oliver, Elena Petty, Meadow Pollack, Helena Ramsey, Alex Schachter, Carmen Shintrup, Peter Wang, the Reverend Clementa Pinckney, Cynthia Hurd, 
the Reverend Sharonda Coleman Singleton, Troy Anthony Davis, Taiwan Triwanza Standers, Trayvon Martin, Philando Castile, and Freddie Gray, Sandra Blanton, Kelly Gissendonner, Eddie Justice, and Christopher Luis Daniel Wilson Leon, Terrence Kutcher, Jonathan Anthony Camuy Vega, Christopher San Feliz, Yilmari Rodriguez Sullivan, and Edward Soto Mayor Jr. So many names we could read. So many names of people taken to us from the mechanisms of violence in this world. On Good Friday, even Jesus asked the question, Where are you, God? Where was God? Some have suggested that God allows people to die violently because God has a higher moral purpose that we humans cannot ever comprehend. And Jesus' death gets similarly justified. God needed Jesus to die so God would not have to kill us. God needed Jesus to die to satisfy a debt. God killed God's Son instead of us in an act of divine mercy. From a purely worldly standpoint, we might even be able to argue and justify that human violence is purposeful. Scholars have said that the purpose of violence in the past has been to keep chaos at bay and even to satisfy the human anxiety that arises when we all want the same things. Sacrifice of animals, of humans, and even war between nations rids humanity of this tension, of this anxiety. The reasoning goes. It rids us of the fear of the unknown. It rids us of the fear of one another. Sacrifice allows humans envious of one another, desirous of what they see in each other, to enact violence on scapegoats rather than one another. In Jesus' day, at the temple, herds of animals were led to slaughter. Thousands of human beings were regularly, by the Roman Empire, hung on crosses and killed in order to enact the Roman form of justice, in order to set things right, in order to help humanity keep its place up in the temple where they sacrificed animals and in order to help the oppressed keep their place in the empire and the cosmos. God, people have believed, requires blood and violence to be satisfied. We are no different, friends, today. Even now, the most 
powerful person in the world, the most powerful country in the world, the most powerful empire in the world is always the one with the most capacity to do harm to others. It's the one with ownership of the greatest arsenal of death. And of course, that empire, which you could probably say is us, believes it is of some kind of ultimate power. Systems that are still in power still work under the belief that that violence has some sort of positive effect, that violence accomplishes some kind of justice, that it actually does something other than perpetuate more death and violence. Yet I want to ask you right now, can you think of one time that violence has ever permanently ended the scourge of human violence? No, you can't. Has killing anyone ever done anything but just suppress the human tendency to violence? Of course, we don't, we don't throw criminals. We don't throw criminals to wild animals in the arena anymore. We don't slaughter livestock to appease God. We don't crucify human beings, but we still believe and we still worship the God of violence. Look at our entertainment. We may not sit in the arenas, but the sports we enjoy, the movies we watch, the shows that we binge, shows that I binge, are centered on the occasional thrill of watching people do harm to one another. And we, the people of the great state of Georgia, as embodied by the laws of this state, still believe that putting one person to death is punishment for committing the death of another person accomplishes something. Death sentences are carried out on our behalf seemingly on a monthly basis. The innocent still die at the hands of the deranged. And they die at the hands of angry people searching for some kind of imagined violence. People searching, all of us searching for scapegoats. And you know, the church has her own complicity in this sin. Much of the church still, still prescribes to a notion. It was a notion that I was brought up on. That God's Almighty's craving for blood sacrifice was satisfied in the person of Christ. So if much of the church still insists that the central mechanism at work in God's grace is, is a horrific act committed upon an innocent man by a violent and oppressive empire, is that not perpetuating the notion that violence actually does something? That having a divine scapegoat works for the God of the universe. But is any of that consistent with what we knew knew of God through Jesus Christ? Because in the incarnation of Christ, the life that we commemorate today, the life that ended on this day that we remember, we see quite the opposite. In Christ, God does not kill to accomplish God's ends. God 
while God lived and walked and died as one of us, never sought out scapegoats, but God incarnate picked those scapegoats up out of the dust and plucked them from the margins of his culture. So if all that is true, then what demanded Jesus' death? What demanded Jesus' death was humanity itself. What demanded Jesus' death was empire. What demanded Jesus' death was systems of violence. Not God. On Good Friday, we don't just have to sit in despair in this knowledge, though. Because we can begin to formulate an answer with God's help to this problem of violence. This answer has been played out for us in the lives of godly men and women who have gone before us. Saints like our very own St. Martin Luther King Jr., whose death we remember in the coming week. Martin Luther King saw that the solution to human violence is found in the way of Jesus the Christ. Because even in the face of horrific acts that were done to him and done to people he loved, St. Martin called for the forgiveness of Christ. When he eulogized the deaths of four little girls who, who were randomly killed in a firebombing of their church, 16th Street Baptist Church in Birmingham, Alabama. When he eulogized them, all he spoke of was forgiveness. He said, in, in spite of the darkness of this hour, we must not despair. We must not become bitter. Or must we harbor the desire to retaliate with violence? Somehow we must believe that the most misguided among them can learn to respect the dignity and the worth of all human personality. In this dark hour, we can see that God does not curse those who whip His back or press a crown of thorns upon His head or make fun of Him or strip Him naked or unjustly accuse Him. God does not retaliate against the misguided amongst Him who who nailed His body to a rough wooden cross. God loves them. God walks willingly to His death rather than raise the power He possesses. God forgives them even as God dies. In the cross of Christ, we see a beginning to the end of scapegoating. We see a, be- a beginning to the end of humanity using violence in God's name. So on this Good Friday, we can hope. So on this Good Friday, we also can mourn. We can remember. We can weep. And we can repent of our violence to one another and our violence towards God incarnate. We can share, we can share in Jesus' resurrection, even 
as we await. We could share in Jesus' crucifixion even as we await resurrection.